Thank you, Nancy and Brother Jeremy. Brother Jeremy's filling in for Brother Rick. You may wonder where Brother Rick is. Well, he's at home because uh, you remember Deb had tested positive for COVID. She's feeling much better. Uh, Rick has not tested positive, but out of uh, due concern for everyone here, he decided he'd better stay home. He's feeling fine, but he didn't want to infect half of the county by coming to church on Sunday morning. So uh, he is watching at home. Thank you, Brother Jeremy, for filling in. John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. Last week... We looked at the proclamation of Jesus where he clearly stated in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. As you know, we're going through the I am statements uh, of Jesus, and every one of these I am statements says something about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And of course, we looked at that statement in the light of the event that took place immediately preceding that. And of course, that is the time when the uh, scribes and the Pharisees dragged a woman that was taken in adultery in the very act, and threw her at the feet of Jesus, set him down and said, she should be stoned, but what do you say? And of course, you know the story. Jesus just wrote some things in the dirt. And then he said, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone says, in silence, they all went away. And we looked at the statement that followed that. In response to this whole event, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This statement deserves a closer look than what we looked at last week. And we'll back up and look at all the implications. Well, some of the implications, all of them can't be covered in one service of this statement I am the light of the world. John chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, <clears throat> and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word that reveals who you are, who Jesus is. Ask that you would show us what you need us to know out of this part of your word today. Deal with us very honestly and truthfully, and thank you for dealing with us in your absolute mercy. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
John's purpose for writing this gospel is clearly stated over in the 20th chapter, verse 30 and 31. I'm going to paraphrase. John said, many of the things Jesus did that are not written in this book, but these things are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and is the Son of God. He establishes this fact at the start of the book, making these statements in the introduction, and he spends the rest of this gospel providing the evidence to support what he just told us in verses 1 through 14. There's a lot of deep theology in this passage. In fact, most of the theological doctrines of Christianity are covered in these 14 verses. Too deep to cover all in one sermon. But we want to look at this concerning the fact that John is introducing Jesus to his readers. Letting them know from the outset who they're going to be reading about. And then he establishes in his book the evidence and provides the evidence to support the claims that he made. First of all, he uses a name that his readers could understand. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. Have to understand that at this particular time, there were two major groups of people that were in the early church. One, of course, was the Jewish population, because, you know, Jesus reached out to the Jewish population first, and the first 12 uh, disciples were Jews, and the apostles were all Jewish people, and the early church in Jerusalem consisted of mainly Jewish people until the day of Pentecost, and from then on, other non-Jewish people came into the world, into the church. At the time that John's gospel was written, there were about 100,000 Greek Christians to every one Jewish Christian. So the whole thought process, the whole culture, the whole perception of the world was altogether different. We're dealing with a primarily Greek culture. The reason this is important is because many of, of the other gospel writers established the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ through the Jewish Hebrew Bible. We spoke of the coming Messiah and all of this. And that is exactly true. That is the foundation of who Jesus is. Then you have, of course, 100,000 to one of these individuals who were never, never associated with the Old Testament. So we had to deal with how am I going to explain who God is to these folks who don't know the Hebrew Bible. In the beginning was the Word. The Word the Greek expression is logos. Logos. Now, this is how the Greeks perceived the word, or logos. Logos was the essence of all order in the universe. You see, the Greeks knew there was a principle of what right and wrong. All cultures have that. They knew there was a principle of what is right and what's wrong. Where'd that come from? What is fair and unjust? Where did that come from? And all of these things concerning order and stability in the human world, they, they identified, well, that's logos. That's order. But then again, they also noticed the stability in the natural world. And understandably, people would be asking questions. 
They, of course, had observed things for centuries and centuries and, and, and thousands of years to the point where they knew there was some stability and some order. They knew there was a definite order and stability and precise schedule of the moon. Never changed. Ever changed. It was accurate. It was predictable. The stars, the movement of the planets, they knew that that was predictable. The seasons never wavered. Always on time. These tides, the ebb and flow of the tides, so naturally, they would ask the question, what, what holds the stars in place? What keeps the moon on such a precise schedule that we can start making our schedule around it? What is it that makes the tides come and go at precisely the same minute every day? They knew all of this. The Greeks knew there was some order to the universe, stable order. Logos is what they used to identify this order. Stable order in the Greek mind always implies an organized mind. So logos not only came to mean that order and stability in the universe, whether it be in the human world or the natural world, but logos, of course, implies reason, wisdom. So logos had to do with what they observed, and then they realized this logos also means wisdom and reason. So anything that had to do with intellect and reason and an intelligent designer was given logos. And for centuries, for centuries, they identified logos. They knew logos was there. And now... John says, in the beginning was Logos. They all could agree with that. They all knew that. Then he says, let me introduce him to you. And Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. I am about to tell you who Logos is. Logos, all this order in the universe, all this stability, all of this reason, all of this wisdom, all wrapped up in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he was doing. He was identifying with the Greek mind where he could uh, explain to them who Jesus is. It makes sense. Everything they had to do concerning the concept of God, they just didn't give him the right name. Logos. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then he said, let me get more specific. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. His name was Jesus. Also, the Jewish people, when he says in the beginning was the word, oh, they knew everything that had to do with the word and all that it meant concerning God. You see, to the Jewish mind, word, a word, or the word, the spoken language is more than just sounds that were formed by the human vocal cords and the mouth. A word does things. A word accomplishes things. If you look in the Old Testament, a lot of times you'll see, and the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. First time it's mentioned, chapter 15, verse 1, and all through the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Moses. The word of the Lord came to Gideon. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. You see, the word of the Lord was always the essence of the presence and the power of God. 
The word of the Lord is responsible for creation. If you remember in the book of Genesis, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let the earth divide from the seas. And God said, let there be lights in the heavens for the seasons and the times. And God said, let there be creeping things. The word of the Lord, in fact, in the book of Psalms, chapter 33, verse 6, he says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And all of the earth was established. So when he said, by the word of the Lord, he's just not talking about the spoken word. He's talking about God himself. They were familiar with the word of the Lord being identified with God himself. And the word of the Lord does things. You remember the passage of scripture in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 11. My word which proceeds out of my mouth will not return empty. It will accomplish what I ask of it to accomplish and the purposes that I have for it. So they knew that the word of the Lord had to do with God himself. And then John said, let me introduce Jesus of Nazareth to you. He is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we understand both the Jewish readers and both the Greek readers could know who he was talking about for the rest of the book. It was the word. Something also very important. In the beginning was the word. You look at the Greek language and the word was there, and they have a long uh, term for exactly what tense it was. It's called something, something imperfect tense, but it means this. In the Greek language, the word was, and it indicates an action or a circumstance that was already in existence. In the beginning, however you define that, and different cultures define it different ways, and now science is, still has not determined where that is, right? We're talking about in the beginning of everything that we can see and know and measure right now, the universe. In the beginning of, of everything that we know, the stars and the planets and all the solar all the, the galaxies out there, they still don't know, but you go back at whatever you want to anchor is the beginning. In the beginning, the word already was talks about the eternity of God. Now, this is important. That is beyond human explanation. It is beyond the human mind to fully grasp that something could always have been and always will be. Because in the human mind, everything has a beginning, everything has an end. That's just the way it is. That's the way we think. And therefore, anything outside of this we can't fully comprehend that, and that's important. But we, we need to know that in the beginning, everything that we know about and everything that we know of, when all that began, God always was. He already was. He's eternal. But the Word was also the light. The word also was the light. So here we go with where we are last week. The Greeks associated light with life and all that was good and noble. They had their, they had their ideas of right and wrong, good and bad, and what was noble and what was worthy and what was valuable. 
light was always associated with what was good and noble. Jewish readers, on the other hand, when he said he was the light, the true light, did you catch that? He was the true light. Jewish readers identified God as the light from the very earliest days. Book of Psalms chapter 27 verse 1, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And so when John comes and says he was the true light, they know he's beginning to talk about God. He's beginning to talk about Jehovah. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19, the Lord will be to you an everlasting light. Then it starts talking about personal life. In Micah chapter 7, verse 8, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So when Jesus came on the scene and he said, I am the light of the world, both cultures knew what he was talking about. Everything that is good and noble and right. And the Jews knew he was talking about God himself. So we understand there's a lot to try to understand. But it's more than just knowing about the light. Jesus clearly stated the necessity of a personal response. Let's go back to where we were last week. John chapter 8 verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He did not stop there. He said this, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now we have to do something with that. What are we going to do with that? Now that we know that, we must respond one way or another. He says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness. Over in chapter 12, as you turn to chapter 12, verse 35, John chapter 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. Verse 46. I am come as a light into the world. Whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Two things. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. I am the light of the world. Believe in the light while you have the opportunity. A personal responsibility. So we're introduced to Jesus Christ. We cannot just let that sit. One way or another, we will respond. We will follow or not. We will believe or not. He states a very definite need for a personal response. And every single one of us 
bear the responsibility for what we do with the information that we just heard concerning the light. What he did not say is, you need to understand it. He said, believe it and follow me. Here's the reason he didn't say that. We can never fully understand the deity of Christ. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's beyond our ability to know that God himself can come and become flesh and live among us. That is just beyond human comprehension. It's not logical. It's not possible. But with God it is. In the beginning was the word. We can't understand eternity. And, and, and since we can't understand it, a lot of people are uncomfortable. He didn't say you have to understand it. In fact, he said it this way in Mark chapter 10, verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will not enter in. You say, how does that all tie in with this? Well, let me wrap it up in a, a personal, a personal experience. When I was a kid growing up, I can remember about as far back as like right there about elementary school. I got a little snippets of earlier than that. But I can clearly remember when I was about in elementary school, first grade, all those years. We lived over in El Dorado in this place called Country Club Terrace. It sounds a lot more exclusive than it is. It's a big neighborhood over there. The big thing about Country Club Terrace is everybody had a gas light in their yard. I mean... When, when, when you drove down the streets, everybody had a gas light beside their driveway. And we loved our gas light because we had these roller skates that you could, you know, you could skate on concrete. You, you clamped them onto your shoes. And we had this angled driveway that would shoot out toward the street. And you could reach out and hook your elbow on the gas light and swoosh down the sidewalk uh, until the rust got the base of the gas light, and then we'd always knock it over. But anyway, let me, I'm chasing the rabbits. All right, the gas light. So, so when you walked outside, there was always light. In addition to that, in, in, our, in our bedroom, uh, we had this little night light. Now, it wasn't a light bulb. It was something that plugged in the wall, and it was a little flat plate. I don't know yet how it worked, but it was a little flat. I didn't understand how it worked, but we had a little night light in the room. There was always light. There was always light. Let me, let me tell you what I, I did not know. I didn't understand anything about light. I did not understand that light is electromagnetic wave. I, I didn't understand that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that light's made up of particles, photons, particles of light, photons. I did not know that light travels 186,000 miles per second. I didn't know that, and I didn't understand that. Uh, how fast is that? That's seven and a half times around the world, just like that. So just like that. There we go. Seven and a half. That. Just like seven and a half. That's, that's what it was. So we understand. Did I know all of that at that time? No. But I knew how important light was. Let me tell you when I really realized how important light was. My grandparents, the Rogers and the Goebbels, lived out in the country. But specifically, when I really realized how important light was, we were staying down at the Rogers. I'm all Papa Rogers. Oh, it was so much fun. We grew up in town, so going out to their house was like a, 
It's like a safari adventure. We were living in the country. And, of course, my granddaddy manned the fire tower, otherwise known in South Arkansas as the fire tower. The fire tower down in South Arkansas, down there at the fire tower. I thought everybody's grandparents had a fire tower in their yard. I mean, it was huge up there. We'd go down there and stay, and it was all wonderful. It was good. But I can clearly remember about the first time we went down there, Mama made us a pallet or something. We were there, I think, in the, the, the front room. It was just going to be wonderful. And it turned out to light. No gas light. No street light. No little panel, little square of light. Nothing. Now, you don't know dark till they turn off the lights in Atlanta, Arkansas, when you're accustomed to El Dorado, Arkansas. Three, two, one. Mama, we had to, oh, we both hollered. You got to get us a nightlight. You see, I didn't understand all there was to know about light. I just knew that old Eric didn't want to sit in the dark. He didn't want the dark. He liked light a lot better than he liked dark. That's what Jesus was saying. Don't try to understand me. Don't try to explain me because you can't explain me. You can't just believe in me and follow me and enjoy the benefits of the light while you have the light. I didn't understand light. Ooh, but I liked it. And that's the same thing it is with Jesus. Humanity wants to put God in a box and explain and and understand all there is. We'll never understand there, but he, he reveals enough of himself. Like me in that light, I know there's a lot better being a light than it is in the dark. And it's a lot better to walk in Jesus than it is to walk in the dark. And we all have a personal responsibility of what we're going to do with the information that we just received. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He is the light of the world. Will you walk in the light and follow the light or prefer darkness? That's what Jesus is asking, not to understand it fully and explain it fully, just what will we do with the unmistakable fact that John establishes Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and the light, and whoever walks in him will not walk in dark. And light's a lot safer than the darkness. Don't know what you may have going on in your life, but we have received that Jesus Christ wants to lighten your world up. He wants you to know the safety and comfort and stability of the light. And he comes saying, I'm the light of the world, and I can lighten up all those dark shadows of, of uncertainty and confusion and despair. I can do that. But we're responsible for what we do with the information we have concerning following Christ or not as we stand and sing for the journey what no